Welcome back to the Quilting Stories podcast. I'm Jeff Rutherford. I'm the co-host. You can find me on Instagram at Jeff Rutherford, and I'm joined on today's podcast by my co-host, Elaine Poplin, a quilter from Huntsville, Alabama. You can find Elaine on Instagram at Messy Goat. And our guest today that we're very happy to have is quilter Irene Roderick. Irene lives in Texas. In addition to her quilts and textile work, she was trained as a painter. And you can find Irene on Instagram at H-I-X-S-O-N-I-R. And she's the author of a new book on quilting, Improv Quilting, Dancing with the Wall. Her quilt workshops are in huge demand. I know that personally because I've been on a very long wait list with Gotham Quilts. And Irene, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, as I mentioned, you trained as a painter. I'm curious, can you tell us how you transitioned into making quilts and now teaching quilt workshops and writing a book about improv quilting? Yeah, it's been actually pretty amazing. What happened was, is I retired from working at the University of Texas and um, was still painting, but I built a tiny house and I needed a quilt to put on my bed and I wanted it to be really cool because you can see everything when you walk in the door. So I Googled modern quilt and lo and behold, here comes Nancy Crow and Denise Schmidt and Gwen Marston and I'm just going, that's what I need. So in order to get one, I had to make it. So I went and took a beginning quilting class and um, fell in love with of course, the fabric, the colors, the process. And I just came home, put my brushes away and pulled out the sewing machine and just completely switched over and became obsessed with working with fabric. Very cool. I am, uh, my mom is a trained painter. And so I learned a lot by osmosis and she is also now a quilter and she does not paint anymore so that's a very interesting parallel yeah so i wanted to know so were you a teacher at university of texas no i wasn't actually i was the executive assistant for the the department of art and art history um because i had actually gotten my undergraduate degree there and they don't hire their own for faculty, which is normal practice for big universities. So I had been a work study when I was went back to school. I went back to school when I was 46 years old. And so then I went off to grad school and came back to Austin because all of my kids were here. And so I was told from the beginning that I would never have a teaching position. And I was just like, OK, but they said, but we'd love to hire you as an accountant. <laughs> I was just okay. <laughs> I know nothing about accounting and they're going, oh yeah, but you've managed restaurants. You've, you know, been a manager in retail stores and it was just like, you can do this. So I took the job, started and then worked my way up. So it was great because I knew all the faculty. I knew the classes. I knew the staff. And so I was in that environment 24 seven. And so I could still kind of keep one foot in the art world as I was working. And that was, you know, really, I think, exciting for me in a certain sort of way and probably easier. I could absorb without the pressure. Absolutely. So I was just, I'm always fascinated to hear from 
artists who have gone into teaching, who have made, you know, adjusted how they approach their art, because I find I have found it personally very difficult to change my nonverbal, (laughs) non-blinking work at the design wall from just pointing and grunting into something that I can explain. How, How was that experience for you? I do a lot of pointing and grunting, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what happened was I was asked to do a workshop after I started quilting about, I think, about a year in. And I had never taught. And I was don't consider myself a teacher. And so I was really kind of baffled. I thought, well, how do I teach such a fluid, intuitive process? Right. You a bunch of people. And so for the next two quilts, I wrote down every single step that I took on the next two quilts, which as I tell my classes, I do not recommend doing. It's very tedious. (laughs) But then as I did that, you know, it became clear how I was actually building the quilts. And so that kind of enabled me to sit down and kind of, you know, work through it step by step and go, well, what can I teach that would make sense? And that's when I came up with the whole concept of, you know, dancing with the wall because I don't sit down. I'm always working and moving around between the design wall, the sewing machine, the cutting table and the iron and then back again, which is the same way I would make a painting is to step back and look and then work and step back and look. But then I also noticed when I wrote these things down that I was using the same shapes, kind of as building blocks. And so that gave me a handle on something that I could actually put out there. And that's how it all started. Yeah, I, same shape, the unity. Uh-huh. Um, is there, have you trained, I, I think I read this, but I don't want to be wrong. Have you trained with or worked with Nancy Crow and her motifs? Uh, no. Okay. I mean, I have, I have taken two Nancy Crow classes. I took strip piecing back in 2019. Um. By that point, I was already fully ensconced in, you know, dancing with the wall. And um, then last October, I went back to take her class, Improv 1 and 2, just because I'm very curious as to, you know, how she approaches improv as opposed to where, you know, how I approach improv. And, of course, it's completely different. Right. There's so much to learn from, from Nancy on color. And um, that's really what I'd like to glean from her. Yes. I mean, I find I learn any class I take from any quilt teacher. I always learn something. Mm-hmm. And they always, always, always have something of value to give me either as an artist or a technician or as a teacher. And so I love taking classes. I don't do it enough because I've been full-time <laughs> teaching. I'm retired now. Yay. (laughs) Yeah, I take a lot of classes. I want to know everything. And so, I mean, I take, um, you know, English paper piecing. I take, you know, um, how to, well, I don't know. I take a lot of dyeing classes. I do a lot of fabric dyeing. Um, But yeah, I feel like every single thing you learn is another, just a tool in your toolbox that if you need to pull it out, you got it. And that's important. So, so how did you get into fabric dyeing and, and do you do a lot of that? Well, kind of another accidental, I don't do anything on purpose. It seems, uh, mm-hmm. the birds are going to be noisy here. I'm afraid. That's um, okay. okay. Um, 
A friend of mine came up to me at the Modern Quilt Guild, and I, I didn't really know her, but she kept showing up to guild meetings with blue hands. And I thought that was fascinating. And so I finally, and then one day she came with some blue hair, and I'm going, what are you doing? And she said, oh, I do indigo dyeing. I said, okay, cool. Well, a couple of weeks later, she came up and she said, do you want to start an indigo vat? And of course, I go, why not? Well, it turns out that she's got a husband who is the cook and he won't let her put a vat in his kitchen. So she knew I lived alone. So we actually made a, an organic henna indigo vat in my kitchen. And then we just started researching online on how to do shibori, how to do sachiko, how to, you know, we had no clue. But we, every time we, I start something... I research in depth. I want to know the history. I want to know what I'm working with, you know. And we just played and had more fun. And, of course, once you start indigo, well, then you have to figure out how to do avocado pit dyeing. And then you've got to do onion skin dyeing. And then you order natural dyes from, you know, Dharma or um, what's the place, Maiwa. And um, then you go, oh, well, that's kind of cool. But what about these fiber reactive dyes? So then I took a class from Carol Soderlund, who teaches, um, is the best teacher on Procyon dyeing, fiber reactive dyes. And so mm -hmm. I live in a tiny house still. So I will, these days, I will dye fabric as I need it. And I do it in plastic bags and I do it in the sink. Oh, wow. The kitchen sink. Yeah. Oh, I can okay. do yard in a gallon bag in no time. Okay. So do you do you live in Austin? You mentioned Austin earlier. Yes, I live in Austin. Oh, wonderful town. What what's the what's the local quilting scene like in Austin or have you uh have you kind of become involved in any local guilds? Well, I started with the Modern Quilt Guild because I, you know, the first thing I discovered um when I started quilting was QuiltCon was here that year in 2015, I think. And I went down and, and discovered modern quilts and modern quilt guilds and joined mine. I looked it up online and found it and I joined it. And so I started there. And they were invaluable, you know, as far as kind of getting me into the community. And then we also have an Austin area quilt guild, which I joined a couple of years later. It's, um, it's the more traditional quilt guild. Except that they are really switching over into more contemporary and more art quilting. And so that's been really a very exciting guild to be a member of. The problem is, is we don't have many fabric stores. Most of them have closed. We don't have a huge quilting community here. Um, and so those are kind of like the only two, you know, groups in town that actually even talk about quilting. So... Even when I offer classes here in town, they don't make because nobody kind of quilts here. It's interesting. That's well, strange. That's interesting. So can you kind of describe your dancing with the wall process? Sure. I, I come in the studio. I, I clean off my design wall entirely. This is extremely important um, because... Everything that's on your design wall is part of the visual reference that you're, you know, that you're dealing with. Clean off the wall and I look around the room. I have no idea what I'm going to do. Um, I find something that looks fun, either in the scrap pile, um, something left over from a quilt that I, you know, finished. 
brand new fabric I just got in. I'll cut a corner off and I'll stick it in the middle of the design wall. And then I step back and I kind of study it and decide, yeah, I think I'm going to put this next to that and I'll go and make something else and I'll put it next to it. And then I keep doing that until the design wall has a quilt on it. So I work from the center out one piece at a time and design as I go. And I don't sew it all together until the very end. That's pretty much it. pieces together though, right? Uh, So, yeah, I call them components. Um, So they are kind of my building blocks. And I I use a lot of those, but I also use a lot of just straight pieces of fabric that I pick up off the floor, you know, as I'm designing that kind of fill in places. So it's not straight components, but it's mostly building these kind of little blocks that are shapes with elements in them. Sure. It, it, I mean, you know, there's obviously similarities between improv, you know, depending on the person. It sounds a little bit also uh, similar to Maria Schell um, and some of her work. Uh, so had you done any sewing in your past? Um, I know that you, you said you put away the paintbrushes, but had you, you know, did you have to learn how to sew once you started trying to make a quilt? No, I actually knew how to make garments. Um there were four girls in our family growing up and mother didn't do a lot of sewing. <laughs> um, and of course we didn't want to wear homemade things anyway, you know, after we were like 10, but I knew how to sew. I knew how to make a dress. I actually took sewing and in high school, they had a sewing class. So I learned kind of more tailoring kind of things there. So I was definitely familiar with the sewing machine and how it works and, you know, how facings and sleeves work, which also help because then you can kind of understand how curves work from the beginning. So, no, I wasn't any stranger to sewing. Um, So you mentioned emptying off your design wall. I did that the other day, mostly because I was about to wet block a quilt on it or a quilt top on it. (laughs) But... um. I noticed you in your book, you use a white design wall and you tape around the size that you're going to do. My design wall is gray and has a grid on it. Um, It's the felt tiles that are made from plastic water bottles. Yeah. Well, I can put batting on it because the batting will stick to it, but otherwise I have to jab pins into it. Uh Um, Do you find, how do you choose how big your quilts are going to be? And do you like a white background or a, a neutral, a more neutral background better, or does it matter? I always, I always have a white design wall. I think it's because you know when painting, you always have a white canvas. Um, much, but um, and you'll notice a lot of the backgrounds of my quilts are white. So whatever's kind of on my design wall is kind of becomes the background normally as I build, and so. What I find and what I recommend is it's harder to work on a gray or dark design wall. Um, For some reason, it dulls your colors because our fabrics are not completely opaque. So I always want my colors to be as true as I can get them. I also find, you know, if somebody's trying to do real improv and you've got a grid right there in front of you, it is too easy to try to line things up with the grid. <laughs> so, you know, I has to like a white design wall, get rid of the grid and play. Yeah, I, I, I actually, when I'm going improv, I put batting up just because I want to be yeah. able to move things around real easily and that yeah. will obscure the grid. So, 
I yeah. I absolutely hear it. But do you, I mean, as far as the size goes, is it just a, after you've built a couple of components, it's just larger than that? Um, well, no, I always fill up my design wall. So <laughs> the design oh, wall in house where I've worked for years is, is seven by by seven feet. And so my quilts tend to be around six by seven or five and a half by six and a half feet because when I make them here at home, because that's how big my design wall is. I don't put borders up at home. I don't put borders. Now I do because I, I rented a studio and it's got 25 foot by nine feet design walls. I put made both walls, design walls completely, put up all the foam and put up white flannel and the first few quilts I made were too big for my long arm so now I have (laughs) marked out six by seven feet and I cannot go any bigger than that or I can't quilt it I mean this afternoon I'm going out to the quilting studio to do four inches on both sides of a quilt that I just made too big last week (laughs) (laughs) So, so tell us, tell us about the studio. How was it moving into that? I'm not sure I'm sold on having a separate studio. I have spent my entire life working from home Mm -hmm. and I'm so used to getting up, you know, any time of the day or night and being able just to work and to sit and stare at what I'm doing. And that I think is an important part of, you know, the artistic process too, is sitting back and looking. So I was pretty excited about getting the space. A little upset when I realized the first couple of weeks that everything I wanted at home was at the studio and everything that I wanted at the studio was at home because I wasn't used to having two places. Sure. And um, so it's become more of a job and it's a real challenge. It's not far from my house, but it's down in the middle of downtown and, mm-hmm. and there's always parking and driving issues. So I'm still getting used to it. Um, that's the part I don't like, but I will tell you, and I just made a little short film the other day of walking down the alley to go into the studio and it's kind of like a cave. There's no windows and turning on the light and being in my cave with all of my stuff that I just immediately relax and get to work and the whole world is just shut out. And there's something really nice about that. So it's kind of mixed at this point. Right. I can see that because there's no laundry calling you or other oh, yeah. distractions that are in your house that interfere with the ability to make at the studio. But it would be difficult. Yeah, I mean, it do is. Do you find yourself duplicating items so you have them in both places? Yes, I have. I have ended up buying three more same rippers, um, <laughs> course, four more pairs of Oh, no. You have to have one within arm's length of everywhere you stand. Um, what else has I had? I Luckily, I I bought another iron. Just, you know, this the the bare necessities I bought to keep here at home. But luckily, I already had two sewing machines. So I've got one here and one down at the studio. Then the long arm is down there now. What and kind of what sewing machine? <laughs> I have a Bernina 930 which is an old Bernina. Um, the reason I have that is because when I went to Nancy Crow's strip piecing that first time, I borrowed a machine from her. I leased it from her, and that's what it was. And she told me that it was the last one that 
Mrs. Bernina, I guess the mom, whatever her name is. Um, this is the last one that she designed, and it's the last one that you can actually take all apart and get into, and it's all metal. So she said, if you're going to, if you can get your hands on one, get one. And I actually was able to do that. And then at the other one I have is an old 1950s singer. Um, I think it's a 201, maybe a 221. I don't know, but it's in a cabinet, which I really like. Um, yes. And it doesn't, I mean, it'll do everything, but I mean, they're both just workhorses. And that's what I really like. They're easy to use. They're easy to fix. They're easy to clean. And um, those are my, my two main machines. Uh, when I first bought a, um, I bought the Q20, Bernina Q20 sit down quilting machine um, because my first intention was to kind of reproduce my paintings in full cloth quilts, whole cloth quilts. And I wanted that huge space there that I could um, work on. But then I realized I, that was kind of boring and I didn't really use it anyway. But it, I didn't have space for a long arm until I rented the studio. And now I have the studio. And so I put a, my Q20 on a frame and it's brand new. I'm still getting used to, you know, long arm quilting. And I didn't get a frame that was long enough. I just got a nine foot and I recommend it. Go ahead and get the 12 footer. You're going to need it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I had that same experience. I, I had a nine foot. Well, I had a 12 foot frame, but I only had two thirds of it set up because of the room I was in. And I finally evicted my husband from the larger room and brought the long arm down here and it was so much better because then I didn't have to be mindful of right. how large I was going. Well, and I don't think I realized, I mean, I know I didn't realize that when you buy a nine foot long frame, you're talking about only being able to quilt six foot wide quilts on it. Right. Because the leaders are seven feet. But then with the Q20, you have to be able to get it off to the side to deal with the bobbin and 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 so in reality yeah you can only do comfortably a 6 foot wide quilt which i Absolutely. wish i knew. yeah well as you mentioned earlier your your transition from your training as a painter and discovering quilts and and making that first quilt um, I'm curious, have you been surprised by the reception to your approach to quilting, both on um, online with Instagram and people following you, and now you have this book out? Jeff, <laughs> my life is surreal. I have no <laughs> clue. Um, it's all just kind of happened organically. And, of course, I have to say, you know, it's because of the pandemic. And it's just that I would have never gone this route if I hadn't been able to or get on Zoom and people encouraged me to teach on Zoom. And I just started kind of putting things out there and teaching for free to see if I could do it. And they were going, oh, yeah, this is great. Why don't you come and teach our guild? And I mean, everything has just been organic from the very beginning and just keeps going and surprised at just... As they say in Britain, I'm gobsmacked over <laughs> how this has all happened. And it just keeps going. And I keep thinking, well, this is crazy. Um, and, I mean, I was telling somebody yesterday that, you know, 
there are people that just want to be me right now. And I'm just going, this is weird. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. It's very strange when I, yeah, when you put something up and people go crazy and you're like, really? That? I know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's what speaks to you. Oh, okay. So, Um, so can you tell us how the book came about? Did did they yeah. approach you and and what what was the process for you once you once you kind of agreed to to write the book what what was the process of kind of um coming up with it and writing it and and you know the photographs and everything that was also very organic and very strange um I just got an email from this woman who says I am a publisher in. Great Britain, um, it's Blue Red Press, and um, are you interested in writing a book? We've seen your work on Instagram. And I'm going, right. So I said, <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> no clue how to write a book. And she said, well, send me some materials and let me go pitch it, and then we can talk. So I sent her the handouts for my in-person classes just for Dancing with the Wall. And within a week, she has sent me back this presentation that is so beautifully designed using my text and some of my images that I have on those handouts. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, this is cool. And so I said, well, okay. So she took it to the London Press Fair, uh, Book Fair, I guess is what she called it. And she pitched it. And she came back in three weeks and she said, we have a publisher. (laughs) I said, okay. She said, yeah, it's Penguin Random House. Well, how do you not say yes to that? Wow. And because remember in college where you always wanted the Penguin one because it was the best edition? So I'm just going, okay. So she sent me a contract. I sent it to a friend of mine who's very detail-oriented. We kind of went back and forth and agreed to do it. And I had no clue what I was doing. So I actually decided the only way to write the book was to be able to see it as I wrote it. And so I downloaded InDesign from Adobe and just started writing and building it on InDesign. And see, I thought I was going to be doing that, and then I would send it to them, and then they would edit it and rewrite it and rearrange it. But no, it turns out that that was the book, pretty much. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. And I had no clue. But we met once, and we emailed a few times. But it was kind of, they were very kind of over there doing their thing, and I was over <laughs> here doing my thing. And we would send big files. I would send them to them, and they would go, these are great. But I hadn't really seen the book until I got a copy of it. Wow. And um, I was nervous. <laughs> no idea what to expect. And I opened up the box and went, wow, they did a really nice job on this. I mean, I think they really did a beautiful job of the paper's nice, the quality's nice, the photography. I, they did insist on me getting a professional photographer mm-hmm. uh, to, to shoot the quilts and... I'm so glad I did because she did a beautiful job and was insistent upon making them look like quilts with seeing, being able to see the quilting and the draping. Whereas when I take pictures of them, I'm more care- interested in seeing it as a design. So I'm taking right. like quilts and they're taking like quilts. And she did a beautiful job on the photography. That's wonderful. 
So you mentioned uh, teaching over Zoom and and during the pandemic and how all of this kind of took off. Um, I'm curious, have you given thought? Um, because obviously, I'm sure you're probably at this point kind of familiar that prior to the pandemic, if someone was quote unquote kind of a quilt teacher, that they basically lived in airports and hotels and spent all their time traveling across the country and sometimes across the world to teach workshops. Um, now that things are kind of opening back up, are you planning on doing um, in-person workshops and classes? Um, welcome to my new world. <laughs> so, in July, I'm teaching at um, Pacific Northwest Art School on Whidbey Island off the coast of Washington. Then I come home for a week, and then I go teach at Quilting by the Lake in Syracuse. And then I'm going to Chicago to teach in person. I'm going to Australia for the entire month of November to do two <laughs> retreats. I know. Is wow. this not just see? I told you, it's all just surreal. And then next year I'm going to, I mean, it's just like every month I'm going somewhere. And then I had a woman come to visit me from Copenhagen a couple of weeks ago. She was in town. She called and she said, can we come see you? And I went, sure. <laughs> and she came over. She's setting up an entire Europe tour. Uh, I mean, how weird is my life right now? That's fantastic, though. Um, I'm going to San Miguel de Allende, San Miguel uh, in Mexico next for Holy Week to teach next um the end of april i mean it's just like wow where did all this come from and i pinch myself all the time wow and i just got back from teaching in person at durango at stitch in durango great little store there and it was a big workshop it was three days there were 23 people and you know I love Zoom. Zoom is great. It's been perfect for quilting where you don't have to take your machines and everything with you to, you know, you can work in your studio and my classes, a lot of them are, I mean, I don't do demos. It's more like crit classes. We talk a lot and everybody works outside of class, um, except for the beginning Gotham quilt. But even then, I'm just watching you work in the background and um, as answering questions but I must say, it was really kind of nice to be in person and be able to run over and find the perfect orange on somebody else's table or sit down and with some really complicated engineering, be able to sit down and really work through it with a group. So it's going to be nice to be out there again. That's great. So, um, I had a couple questions. Do you use a steam iron or a dry iron? I use a dry iron these days because my steam iron uh, has ruined too many things lately. And so I tend to use just spray starch and then water in a mister and, and get things wet and then use a dry iron. Okay, good. That just affirms my, my position on the matter. You know, it's yes. all about me. Anyway, yeah. um, learning Adobe InDesign, did you already know how to use it or did you learn by doing? Did you take their, <laughs> do their little online tutorials to get their class? <laughs> Very similar path to what I've had to do. Well, I knew Adobe Photoshop really well because I've taken Adobe Photoshop twice. I'm not okay. so good at, at um, Illustrator. Um, but now Photoshop has a lot of the things things Illustrator does, so it's it's okay. But 
I've tried Illustrator a few times and it just didn't speak to me. But because I, th- I was thinking I could do the book on Illustrator or on Photoshop, but then I realized InDesign is actually made for this. So, yes. you know, I just immediately just go and, well, you know, it's got to be like Photoshop and Illustrator, right? So I download it and I start looking at it. And I'm going, oh my gosh, this yeah. is not anything like Photoshop and our yeah. Illustrator. And it's not intuitive at all. So it was just a matter of sitting down and just playing with it and experimenting. And I think I looked at a couple of tutorials when things weren't going my way. And I was going, what am I doing wrong? But it was really fun. I mean, I love challenges and I love puzzles. And so it was, I kind of approached it from that angle. But yeah, learning curve. Just absolutely. Yeah. They um, they do have, and I'm saying this a lot for um, curious quilters out there, but if you are super interested and don't do well with watching video tutorials, and I'm one of those people, um, Adobe has Classroom in a Book yeah. for, their, for their products. And I have found, that's how I learned how to use Illustrator. I was very skilled on Photoshop as well, mm-hmm. but I've now switched entirely really? to Illustrator after i occasionally will go into photoshop if i need to change something back into a jpeg but um i'm full convert to illustrator and i love indesign for creating handouts yeah it's outstanding um the what you just mentioned the book is it like a really detailed book that goes step by step is that how it is yeah, and they give you um, an, a link with a key to downloads, mm-hmm. and then they have little um, lessons where you manipulate the download through their product, and they show you how to use certain things, like a scatter brush or, um, I mean, all kinds of stuff. So you can learn how to create a pattern. You can learn how to... Um, make shadows and shading and gradients yeah at, and you know how to start them and stop them partway through a design i mean it's it's really comprehensive um but again i mean it can be dangerous i miss new year's one year well they also <laughs> did adobe they do every year they do the, the 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 big international convention you know which is adobe max i think they called it it was all online the last two years and you can sit and go in and search for each of the formats you want to learn something about and then watch these classes and see all the new things. And I, that's when I learned that you could actually immediately send something from InDesign, a huge file, just email it to somebody else for them to look at. Because that was new two years ago, I think. So they're an amazing company as far as educating you on using Absolutely. their tools. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Well, you you talked about your your travel and your teaching schedule. I'm just curious, and you know, now you have the studio that's separate from your house. I'm just curious: Are you sewing almost every day? What's kind of your work process like? I'm trying to, I'd say yes to too many things. Um, it's a real balancing act that I don't think I have down yet, but. Like this month, and every month is different. This month I'm teaching 
three mornings a week and I get to the studio around noon, between noon and one, and then work for the afternoon. Um, I try to only teach the Gotham class now one weekend a month because that otherwise I can spend all weekends down at the studio. But I really do have to watch it and not schedule too much because if I'm not making something, I'm going crazy. And my fingers itch and I get very anxious. And so I have to go down and do studio time at least six days a week, at least for two hours a day. Got it. Yeah. It's hard. I imagine. Yeah. And I'm curious about tools and and, and notions. I mean, you mentioned seam rippers and you mentioned uh, a dry iron. Um, are are there any special rulers or or tools that you use, or is it just the the basics? It's just the basics. Um, I've never been a tool oriented person with mm-hmm. any of the things I do, and so I just have you know scissors, cutting table with you know I have a twenty four by six and a half inch cutting ruler. I do have ruler templates for my long arm, but I tend to use them very rarely. Um, but no, I just, I'm not a, a, a tool snob, shall I say. Sure. And a lot of times I feel like I can get away with using things that I've got around the house instead of buying something new. So Walking around with a lampshade, that kind of a thing. <laughs> yep, yep, works. <laughs> yeah, oh, goodness. So, so do you do a lot of straight line quilting? I do. No. No. Okay. <laughs> That's boring, Jeff. Um, <laughs> I sit down and I tend to quilt straight line within each component or each kind of design element, usually about a quarter inch apart. So if you look at my quilts and zoom in, you'll see each little section. It is just straight line. It is quarter inch apart, but it kind of follows whatever design is in that little piece. Like I'll follow a curve on one of them, then I'll just follow straight lines on another one, several diagonals. So each little area has its own kind of different little quilting thing. Um, the last three quilts, big, big quilts that I brought back from Nancy Crows, I did send them out for somebody to quarter inch straight line quilt them for me. Because she's got a computer and a 12-foot machine, and she puts it on, and she babysits them. But there's something, you know, that just flattens things out in a way that's different. And so I feel like my quilting, even though it's absolutely horrible quilting, I will tell you that. I'm a lousy (laughs) quilter. But it gives and it kind of suits the personality of the quilts more. Yeah, I don't think it's terrible, and I'm pretty sure anybody listening would would agree with me on that when it's organic. It's organic. That's a nice way. But judges go, well, your quilting isn't straight. I'm going, yeah, I know that. That's sort of the plan, (laughs) thanks. I do. When I teach, even when I teach that beginning class, we start the second day with looking at different ways that people quilt these um, kind of improv quilts because... I am just amazed and fascinated by all the amazing quilters out there and how they can take a simple kind of little improv two-color design and make it into a masterpiece with their quilting. But I'm not that person. No. (laughs) 
No, it's finding your own voice is always, I think, I don't know, it's very stimulating. Uh, do you snip your thread ends as you go or do you bury them or what do you do? I snip them as I go. That's one thing nice about the Q20 machine. It has an automatic knot you can put in when you start a thread and you can do the same thing as you end a thread. And so then I can just clip clip them off. Do they knot on the back or no? Um, no, they're kind of not in the, on the front. Okay. I don't know where they not. Come to think of it, maybe. <laughs> okay, so you can't tell. That's good. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's just things that people wonder. My heart sank the other day when you had dye migration and <laughs> your vote from the leak. Yeah. Have you been able to, to rectify that or are you still fighting with it? Uh, they're sitting right here. I haven't tried yet. Um, I've been okay. very, very busy this week, and I have a friend who is a laundry guru, and she says, well, you have to soak them in the bathtub for 12 hours. Yes. I said, well, I live in it. I don't have a bathtub. Um, mm -hmm. That's a problem. And then she says, you need to use a front loader. Well, I don't have that either. No. And so the other thing was I wasn't sure about insurance and I didn't want to try to fix them until I knew that, you know, they were kind of safe to change. But right. it turns out there's not any insurance anyway. So, yes, I can do whatever I want. So they're sitting here and when I have a minute, I will take some time trying to figure it all out. But I think my first step is going to be actually to put them in my washing machine with hot water and a bunch of color catchers and see if that'll just do it. If you do you have grandchildren in town? I, yes. I know this is a completely random question. Are they are they how are how old are they? I have a 17 year old granddaughter. Ooh, she just turned 18. <laughs> a 17 year old grandson and a nine year old grandson. Okay, the nine-year-old may really get into this. I had something happen to one of mine. I had dye migration from a hand-dyed binding that went into the edges when I wet blocked or went into the edges of the quilt interior. Yeah. And I had two little girls, and so I put them in bathing suits <laughs> and warm water. Warm water with an OxyClean slurry. I basically put OxyClean into the water until it would no longer go into solution. Cool. And poured that into the warm water in the bathtub. But you, if you have them in town, you can go over there with this thing. And I let the children stomp it like grapes. <laughs> yeah, you're right. My nine-year-old grandson would love that. Because he never <laughs> they thought it was hilarious. And it fixed it. So I'm going to go get a, one of those plastic bath uh, swimming pools. There you go. There you go. 104 today, 106 tomorrow, wow. 107 on Sunday. So the hot water can be from the hose. I live in the yard with Dawn and OxyClean and go crazy. Oh, yeah. Just make sure you have something to hold on to because OxyClean in that quantity is very slurry. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I brought in little step ladders and made them hold on to them like like handles but it's it's so it's easy it's silly and it worked i don't know where i read that advice but somebody said to stomp it like grapes all okay. right sounds twice. <laughs> so so what's the best place for people to find you online if they're interested in learning about your quilts and your workshops and now your book 
I um, have a website, irenerodrick.com. Um, I don't keep it up very well, but I try to at least put the main workshops there or put my email address so people can just email me. I work alone, of course, and I do everything best through email. So if anybody's really interested in anything, send me an email and um, that way I can have your address and I can get back to you and put you on lists and that kind of thing on my computer. Excellent. That's great. Well, again, we've been speaking with quilter Irene Roderick. Her new book is Improv Quilting, Dancing with the Wall. Get and it, get it's, it, get it, get it. Yes, it's a beautiful <laughs> book. I have I have one sitting right here. So, um, Just know I, that it's available through bookstores. Uh, it's not on the quilt store book circuit because it's Penguin Random House, I think. And so you kind of have to go to Amazon or, um, you know, a local bookstore or Barnes and Noble. Um, but you can ask your quilt store to order it, but it's not on their normal list, I've discovered. That's great. Well, Irene, thanks for doing this interview. Oh, thanks for you guys for reaching out. It's been great fun. Nice to meet Absolutely. you, too. I wish I meet you. See what you look like, but I'll look you up on Instagram right now and I'll find out. Okay. My avatar on Messy Goat is me in a Disney movie. I totally look like that all the time. Yeah. You know, I I do follow you and I know what you look like on there. (laughs) Great. Thank you. Thank you. 